0: West Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Well, today uh, I'm affectionately calling Emoticon Sunday. Welcome to Emoticon Sunday. How many of you use Emoticons. Uh, a few of you? A few of you? I'm actually looking forward. I, I hope you can see these well enough. I'm looking forward. We're continuing to make progress in a thousand words giving and getting closer and closer every day to the point that we can replace these projectors and you'll be able to see things bright and crisp. But uh, we all know that, uh, that well, uh, speaking as a man, and I can only speak as that, I guess, um, I oftentimes wish my wife had an emoticon screen on her forehead. Uh, because, or something popping above her because it would make life so much easier to be appropriately caring in whatever situation. Maybe in women, maybe you wish your husband had that too, I don't know. But for a man, I, I've wished that many times. Because we all know that emoticons make obvious for us, right, what we know to be true in life. That one word can have many different meanings depending on the emotion attached to it. Really can be really or it can be really. And it's very different. Today, as we continue our look at uh, what many theologians call the prime jewel of Paul's writings, the letter to the Ephesians, uh, we get to look at this amazingly fascinating passage, which is actually Paul beginning a thought, and then he goes along, uh, uh, something pops in his mind, and he goes off on this long, spontaneous digression for the next 12, 13 verses in the text. And uh, I, I realize that Paul, if he was in Comp 201, would probably get marked down a letter grade for this kind of writing. But what he's actually doing is expressing this amazingly caring moment for his friends that he'd lived with for more than three years. And he's expressing care for them in a struggle they're facing and frankly, it's a struggle that I think we all face on a regular basis, too. So let's read the text today. Uh, in Ephesians 3, verse 1, it says this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then the thought hits him. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church... Lord, we just ask that You would come now and that Your Spirit would uh, speak to each and every one of our hearts exactly where each one of us is through the words today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to examine this passage in three different lights. We're going to examine it from the aspect of the problem that Paul is addressing. We're going to examine it from the idea of the reality of grace. And then we're going to look at the promise of grace. So first, the problem. Paul's writing this from prison. And by this time in his journey in prison, he's been there somewhere between two and four years, and he's now in Rome. And the reason is he's in Rome is because he got there because that was about the only way he could avoid being railroaded by the lower courts. And on the way to Rome, Paul has experienced shipwreck, he's experienced a viper biting him, and a very long, hard winter waiting to get there. Notice what Paul says in verse 1. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then at the end of the passage in verse 13 he says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. See, what Paul is addressing here is actually a common theme that we hear in motivational speeches all the time today. What he's actually addressing in this passage is choosing our perspective. Choosing our attitude in life. Choosing what reality is going to control our view of life. Which, in a sense, emoticon are we going to attach to our currently challenging experiences? See, in the face of suffering, Paul is gently exposing our tendency to get caught up in discouragement and complaint rather than grateful praise to get caught up in our present difficulty, focusing only on that to the exclusion of our current and future hope that is actually grounded in our past experiences. It, he's giving us, in a sense, a choice, and how we respond to this is the choice, the difference is between the choice of receiving this wonderful gift of the boundless riches of Christ or living in a stagnant, life mired in discouragement and and anxiety, maybe even fear. See, the text is ultimately about every problem we face. God gives us a promise for it. See, for Paul, in the Ephesians mind, he's this great Christian leader. God does miracles through Paul, In fact, the Ephesian Christians have experienced and been the recipients of many of these miracles that God has done through Paul. And now, after many years of him being imprisoned and wondering when that's going to come to an end and wondering what that end is going to be like, the Ephesians are struggling with discouragement because of Paul's suffering. I mean, if Paul suffers so, then with no end in sight then then where's god in this and where's god in life for us if paul suffers this way and we face the same struggle don't we we face it the same when you when someone you love especially someone that you think is so good so innocent so so influential so righteous or whatever you label you put on suffers like paul we tend to struggle with getting bitter or numb or disillusioned or maybe even discouraged with church and God. In fact, some of you, that very struggle has been the reason that has held you back from being all in with God or being committed to God fully and committed to the church as God invites. And this is what Paul is dealing with in this passage. Paul's thought of prison in verse 1 all of a sudden brings to his mind this concern that he has. And Paul doesn't want the Ephesian Christians and he doesn't want us to be tanked by this hang-up. He wants us to learn to live in the promise of God. But Paul doesn't, as the Bible doesn't, gloss over the realism and the difficulty and the hardness of life. The Bible's extremely realistic about the hardness of life, isn't it? And yet with realis- full realism, Paul also invites us to look at the reality of grace. He's not a pied piper. He's not asking us to jump from our harsh reality all the way to touting a promise. He actually wants us to start first by looking at the realism of grace in our life. And he does that in a really interesting way in this text. He does it through the word. He starts to do it through the word mystery. We see the word mystery several times. And mystery for us today means something very different. It means something like, well, my favorite one of my favorite TV shows of our family is NCIS, and there mystery means something happens and you figure out what's hidden and you solve the problem, right? But that's not what mystery in the text here means, or in the Bible. And I think Tim Keller actually defines the biblical meaning best when he says, a mystery in this context is something revealed by God because you would never discover it. You would never come to realize it by a process of reasoning. It is something so astounding that it goes against what you would guess. And Paul in this text connects that idea of mystery to the idea of the gospel and the grace of Jesus in our lives. And that's indeed a great mystery. I mean, One would never call the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule a mystery. I mean, every religion on earth, whether it's Buddhism, Hinduism, Muslim, or even atheists, have their code of ethics similar to the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule, right? That's not a mystery. The gospel is not if you live a good life, if you obey the commands, if you do more good than bad and live by the golden rule, then God will hear your prayers and he'll bless you and you'll go to heaven. That's common sense. It's so common that when you talk to individuals about faith today in our community, you hear that on a regular basis. I live a good life. I am okay right no the gospel is a mystery the gospel is god fulfilled justice by taking on himself the rightful judgment and penalty of sin for all of us so that he could be both just and merciful God came to earth and he won the ultimate battle through suffering. He gained everything by giving it away. This is all the message of the gospel. He destroyed violence and offers us peace by taking the violence upon himself. He restores our righteousness. We don't have to do restore our righteousness by penance. He restores our righteousness by an amazingly beautiful gift. And when you choose to receive that gift... You are simultaneously a sinner and a saint. He sees you perfectly forgiven of everything. He sees you perfect, and yet He recognizes you are not yet fully restored. He accepts you. He forgives you absolutely, completely of everything, and yet He sees you realistically for who you are, not fully restored yet. And He gives you His Holy Spirit to help you truly, deeply change. This is the gospel Grace demands you lose your life to find it, that you surrender your life and surrender your control to find stability. No, being saved by living a good life, that makes sense. But being saved by gospel makes no sense at all. It is the most splendid mystery, and it's the most real reality of all. No other system allows one to be both just and merciful at the same time. And it's splendid because if you choose not to live by faith, but instead you choose to live the good life and try to measure up by doing more good than bad, while that makes sense at the beginning of that journey and while it makes sense in the phases of life where you may be feeling good and feeling like you're having success, as time goes on, living life to try to be good enough will crush you because you can never be perfect enough. You can never be free enough of your weaknesses and your sin in your life. The only way to be free and the splendidness of this mystery is is through salvation by faith, accepting this grace and the loving leadership of the Holy Spirit of God living in your life. The gospel is a counterintuitive beautiful wonder That frankly, you can never get tired of hearing how much God loves you. There's never can be, there can never be another place in your life where that, that message of how much God loves you can't peel away and heal another aspect of your life. And so today, if you haven't accepted that grace, if you're still living in the, in the pattern of, I I live a good life, I'm okay. I want to invite you to say yes to that grace today and to let go of that crushing pressure. I'll give you a chance at the end to do that. But Paul expands the idea of the reality of grace for us further in two ways in verses 10 and 11. Let's relook at those verses. His intent was now, it says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul, of all people, is not naive about the church. When he says that uh, the, through the church the manifold wisdom of God is known, Paul is completely aware of the church's faults, better than any of us. I mean, just look at the rest of his letters and look at all the writing that he had to do to address problems. Uh, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on that because we spent more time on that last week other than just to say I want to reinvite you to that level of deep commitment that God through us as a church, He wants us to be committed to the church and that's where his good is going to come to this world. And I want to invite you, if you weren't here last week, to listen to that podcast from last week. But today, I want to focus our time more on the last part of that, which says, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we know what that eternal purpose is. It's actually contained in the thesis statement of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We dealt with it months ago when we talked about it in Ephesians 1.10. That God's purpose is essentially to unify all things, to sum up all things in Jesus. That his ultimate purpose is to bring everything together in wholeness and health in Jesus. Now, this only makes sense in light of the larger story of the Bible, which is simply this. Since the time that sin entered the world, all things are falling apart. I mean, your body is falling apart. Some of us know that better than others, right? And disease is the falling apart of the proper order of the body. War, divorce, childhood rebellion, violence, these are all evidence of relationships falling apart. Economic struggles, depression, trade wars, the need for unions and strikes are all evidence of economic relationships falling apart. Life wasn't supposed to be like that. God originally created life where... Human relationships were supposed to be enduringly, beautifully harmonious, where provision was supposed to be abundant for every need we possibly had. And in fact, I think, uh, I think, interestingly enough, throughout history, the whole fantasy with the whole fountain of youth thing is actually that essence of that divine spark in us. Hearkening back to what we thought life is supposed to be. Isn't it isn't interesting, I think, how some of those divine image things come out in life. And the meta-narrative of Scripture, anchored in the creation account, tells us that sin destroyed that perfection of harmony. Sin destroyed it. God didn't bring suffering. The falling apart of life, he didn't bring it. Even the desire for us to experience suffering, that's not a part of God's equation. Our sin, the Bible teaches, is corrupted. Not just ourselves. It's never just an individual thing. And sin didn't just corrupt our relationships and hurt our relationships. Sin is never just a relational thing either. It corrupted the very essence, the very bedrock of physical creation. It impacted everything with death, with deterioration, with the falling apart of things. Sin, the Bible teaches, is the origin of suffering and difficulty, not God. And yet for me, when I face Difficult times, frustrating times, whether it's, whether it's a frustration in a job or a frustration in family or a frustration with finances or whether it's something as severe as, as a friend of mine dying and leaving behind four little kids. I probably like you struggle with what Paul is lovingly in this passage trying to refocus us in, in life. And the struggle is this. We misplace the blame, don't we? So easily when things are difficult, we blame God. Or we become impatient, impatient with the redemption process. God has chosen to fix how we broke things in our sin. I mean, why couldn't He have just made everything right all at once instead of leaving us in this world where He does change lives, He does heal, and at the same time, things fall apart? And disease and struggle still happens in life, yet, and we end up choosing so often to misplace the blame or get impatient with the way God chose to operate in life right now yet paul is what Paul is doing here to encourage us is the same thing actually most of us have done or many of us have had done for us by our friends. I can remember sitting with pastors who were struggling and feeling an absolute loss of all hope for what was going on in their churches and the ministry. I can remember sitting with married couples who had lost hope and wondering whether their marriage was over. I can remember sitting with business people who were struggling and thinking, maybe I'm going to be a failure. Maybe things are going to fall apart. Maybe I'm not going to be able to find that new job after losing a job. I can remember sitting with my kids when they were discouraged and down. And what do we say to our friends and what have people said to us during those times? We say things like, you remember how God was good to you in the past how he provided for you financially when you didn't think you could get through that last time you remember how God gave you a job when you didn't think you could get a job you remember you remember that time you thought you were going to get divorced and God God restored things and healed things you remember those things you see we so easily get lost in the fog of the difficulty that we forget how God has been in our past And sometimes we even miss how God is current in our present because the fog of the cloud of discouragement is so thick we don't even see the opportunities that God is bringing of His grace in our present time. And that only gets worse when we think that God is the one punishing us, when we think God is the one who's bringing the suffering to us, doesn't it? Paul says, I want you to remember the reality of grace. I want you to remember where God stands in relation to suffering. He's not on the side of bringing the suffering. He's on the side of redeeming and restoring and healing and promise. And I want you to remember the reality of grace. Remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God in the past rather than getting lost and being overwhelmed by the difficulty you're facing now because with every problem the fallen world can throw at us, with every problem that our own brokenness can invite upon us, God invites us to a promise. A promise of overcoming that, a promise of freedom, a promise of growth, a promise of miracles. And yes, when we look at Paul in the story, he's been in prison. He's been suffering for several years now, but he's also experienced miracles all along the way. If you look at the story on the whole, at one point there were assassins that were going to kill him. While he was in captivity and it was found out, it was exposed and he was protected. And at one point on the, on the ship at sea during the storm, the soldiers were going to kill all the prisoners, including, including Paul, in order to ensure that they would not escape and they wouldn't be held accountable. And through a prophetic word, they were saved. And in that same storm, when the ship wrecked, Uh, all of the everyone on the ship was saved even those who could not swim and god created a miracle there and when paul was bit by a viper and everybody thought he was going to die die instead god healed him and put him in this place of exile on a cold island during winter awaiting stormy season to end up and allowed wonderful ministry to take place in that moment and while paul doesn't retell all of these miracles in this passage that we're looking at today, I can't help but think that he was sitting there looking at the guard across the room from him in the room that day and thinking about these things and knowing that his Ephesians friends had heard these stories and when he talked about this, they would remember not just that God had been merciful, but that God had also triumphed in the difficulty in Paul's life. And Paul knows that in order for us to choose the promise... In suffering that God wants us to see. Instead of being mired in the difficulty that we need to remember, we need to remind ourselves of the reality of grace in our life. Because that's what opens our heart to even be able to consider promise of grace in the current difficulty. And that leads us to live life expectantly. It's so easy in difficulty to just endure, to just settle and put up with it. But Paul wants us to live expectantly and assertively expecting the promise. And we see this promise being lived out in Paul's life in at least three ways alluded to or implied in this text. First, we see it in his focus in the very first verse. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. See, Paul acknowledges acknowledges he's a prisoner. By this time, he is being held captive and guarded by the Praetorian Guard, the very elite guard of Caesar, awaiting for his trial with Caesar. These are the biggest, baddest soldiers in the empire. And my spell checker doesn't like the word baddest, so it tried to make them the baldest soldiers in the empire. But Paul doesn't say that he's a prisoner of the Praetorian Guard, does he? He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And he's not saying there that Jesus is the author of his suffering. What he's doing is he's putting on display there the level of trust that we can have in God. The same kind of trust that Jesus expressed when he told Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it was granted you by God. God is the victor in all situations. And Paul trusts that God's power is more than capable to handle any situation, any circumstance he's in right now and what he's expressing there is a trust and not even acknowledging the authority of the guard in the room he's only acknowledging the true authority that he realizes is above all else and second we see the promise of Paul's uh, of grace and Paul's excitement about mission and this is kind of implied in the text that can only be accomplished through his suffering see Paul has been following Jesus and realizes that following Jesus in mission oftentimes involves difficulty Because God's going to put us close to people who require reconciliation. And the only people who require reconciliation are struggling with sin, are struggling with suffering, are struggling with evil. And sometimes we suffer being in close proximity to those relationships. And God puts us in places where conflict and evil exists so we can be agents of reconciliation. And man, what we would have missed if Paul hadn't had this perspective throughout this whole journey. I mean, Paul, while he's in prison in Rome, writes what we affectionately call today the prison epistles. He writes the book of the Philippians, one of my favorites in the New Testament. He writes the book of Colossians. He writes Philemon. And he writes this, the crown jewel of all of his writings, Ephesians. And man, can you imagine the loss we would have experienced if Paul had gotten caught in the discouragement rather than living in the power of the promise of God and His grace in the midst of suffering if he wouldn't have written these things? And we can look further even in the book of Acts and in the book of Philippians and know that while Paul was in prison, many of the Praetorian guard actually gave their lives to Christ and followed him. And it says even some of Caesar's household became members of the faith in following Jesus. And the question I think he begs us to consider then is, who can God be to you and others through your life because of the difficulties you are facing? You see, the only suffering, the only suffering God will ever lead us into is into relationships where He intends for us to be the agents of reconciliation. And sometimes we have to put up with crud because of that. Or the only other suffering that we'll experience that He initiates can be likened to a doctor, a good doctor, who exposes the pain and does surgery to bring healing. All other suffering is a result of sin's effect in the world. When we understand the reality of grace, when we understand the promise of grace, suffering while still difficult, painful, certainly becomes something we can walk through with confidence. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to. Verse 12, he says, "...in Him through faith, in Him, that we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In all circumstances, we can be free." In all circumstances, we can be confidently connected to God and who He is and who He wants to be in our life because we know His goodness. We know His power and we trust His eternal promise. And it allows Paul to be confident in the face of imprisonment and encourage the Ephesians to not be discouraged and encourage us also to not be discouraged when we or people close to us suffer. I mean, what are they going to do to him? Kill him? I mean, for him, all that means is more of the boundless riches of Christ even sooner. And that freedom allows him and allows us to walk in peace, not missing opportunities to explore how rich God wants to be to us and how his manifold wisdom wants to express through us and make such an impact in the world. I mean, other places we see Paul struggling with this more, right? He struggles to stay in this promise of grace and not fall prey to discouragement. And, and that's part of the reason why he sets this whole discussion in this text in the midst of him talking about the importance of being the church. We need to have close enough friendships with one another that when we face this discouragement, they can be the ones to encourage us to stay looking at the reality of grace and to engage the promise of grace. Wendy was listening to one of her favorite speakers a couple weeks ago. His name is Graham Cook. And Graham has kind of a prophetic gift edge to him. And a woman in his church came up to him one day and cornered him after church one day and said, I've been diagnosed with cancer. And this is the question she asked. Wouldn't you love to have this question? You are a prophet. Tell me whether I'm going to live or die. And he said, I don't do births, I don't do deaths, and I don't do marriage. But here's a question I want you to ask God. I want you to ask God, who do you want to be for me now that you couldn't be before I had cancer? And he goes on and tells the story. She called him daily, saying, I still haven't heard from God. And she called him the next day. I still haven't heard from God. And this went on for 16 days. I still haven't heard from God. And she says on the 17th day, he tells the story, she went into the grocery store and she ran into this old friend from high school who had just moved back. They hadn't seen her for many, many, many years. And went over and they were connecting and all excited. And the whole time, this little, this friend's little girl, the little daughter kept trying to interrupt. And finally finally the little girl just blurted out saying mommy mommy and pointing to the woman who had cancer the friend who had cancer she said this is the lady i saw in my dream a couple weeks ago and this young girl had had a dream 17 days earlier and in that dream she felt like jesus brought her into his office and on his desk there was a picture and she remembered the picture and she asked him about it. And he said, I want you to, when you see the person in this picture, I want you to give him a note from me. And so, since that dream, she had been carrying in her pocket a note that said the very thing that God told her in that dream. And she took this note out in the grocery store. She gave it to the lady. And I remember the question she'd been asking. She said, Jesus, who do you want to be for me now that you couldn't be before I had cancer? And the note read, I am the God who heals you. The woman was indeed healed, and she now prays regularly for people for healing because she knows who Jesus is. I mean, we can ask all sorts of questions. Why didn't God just tell the woman from the first day on her own? Right? Why take 17 days, especially when the little girl knew 17 days ago, had the dream already then. Sure, God could have just told her on her own, but... I don't know, God works through relationships. God works through the church to accomplish much more than just an individual word could accomplish. A woman learned that God answered her prayer long before she knew that He had answered and it gave gave her confidence. A little girl learned that God speaks through dreams and can heal people. And two old friends reconnected in a way that spurred on a relationship with God and one another in a beautiful way. And Paul's invitation to us today is to not get caught in the perspective of suffering and discouragement, but to focus on the reality of grace, and then the promise of grace, the boundless riches, the manifold wisdom of God. If the difficulty you're facing now, I don't know, matter. It doesn't matter how great or small it is. Come on, worship team. You uh, you may label it suffering. For you, suffering may be too big of a term. Maybe maybe it's just a difficulty. Maybe it's a setback. Maybe it's a disappointment. But if there's any area of your life where there's discouragement grabbing your heart, I want you to ask God two questions today. I want you to ask Him, What do you want to be to me now in this circumstance that you couldn't be to me before? Would you do that? And would you allow Him to come to you in that sense of promise and make that promise personal to you? And and ask Him a second question. How do you want the promise of Your grace to become more real to others in the midst of what I'm facing right now? The band's going to play a song in just a moment, and I want you to just feel free to sit or stand and join, but I want you to take some time just to ponder those two questions and just ask God those questions. And don't give up today. If it takes 17 days, keep asking that question. If it takes 30 days, keep asking that question because God will speak to you. He will communicate to you. But before we do that, I told you earlier, if you are a person who you walk through life saying, ah, I'm good enough. I I do more good than bad, and that, that makes me good enough with God. I want you to release that crushing pressure today. I want you to accept the grace of God, the grace that comes to you and says, I forgive you completely, and yet I'm completely realistic about where you're at. And, and I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to help you change. And no matter how long it takes, I will fulfill my promise to you. That's what God's invitation is to you today. So if you're here and you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to invite you to say yes to follow Him today and receive that grace. And you can do that by any time during the next two songs, just stepping out, going back to the prayer area over here, and either some elders or staff or myself will meet you there. Um, Lord, we just thank You. We just thank You for this encouragement today. Lord, I pray that You'd speak to each and every one of us in our hearts, in the areas where we're feeling discouragement, that You would remind us that You're for us and the reality of how You've been for us in the past, and that You would speak to us the promise You have for us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.